Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here at ASI, and here we are, the 31st of December, 2019. We've come to the very last day of this year, and um, I can't really think of a better way to spend it than with brothers and sisters that love you, that want to follow you, um, that want your word to become alive in their lives. And Lord, here we are as young people, uh, some here that are not yet married, others that are married, others that are newly married and that, or some that have children, young children, or perhaps older children. Lord, wherever we are in our journey, uh, I pray, Lord, that this seminar may be um, both instructive, encouraging, inspirational, and that it will motivate us, Lord, to, to do all that we can to reflect your glory and your character um, in this very day and age in which we live. We know that the greatest testimony of your love and your gospel is a well-ordered family. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll help us and guide us and give us your spirit, for we ask this in your beautiful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so our seminar is entitled Bringing Up Children in the Faith. Um, we're gonna, this is a seminar that I'm presenting together with Sylvia. Actually, the bulk of, of time is gonna give it, be given to her. Uh, I'm gonna do some, int- uh, some introduction and introduce a couple of things that we're gonna talk about. Then Sylvia is gonna take it from there, and then I'll wrap it up in the end, and then we'll do question time together, okay? Uh, and I wanna start by talking about this principle, and that is proactive parenting. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Proactive parenting. Okay, I don't see many hands. Um, I'll explain it. I think it makes sense when you hear the word, what I mean by that. Proactive parenting is the idea that you are basically a step ahead of your child. And let me illustrate that because sometimes, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this, sometimes parents tend to be... Um, kind of a step behind their kids, and so they're always like running after their kids. Oh, oh, be careful for that. Oh, oh, don't go there. Oh, don't watch that. Oh, make sure you, and 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 you're always kind of like chasing your children, uh, not only literally, you, you see it literally uh, if you go in the supermarket and there are these little kids and, and they want that and they want that, and so you can see it literally, but also on a fig, in a figurative sense, there's this kind of always the, 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 the parent is chasing the child, is trying to catch up with the child, is trying to kind of um, dam- manage the, or, or try to, um, uh, what, what am I trying to say, limit, limit the damage <laughs> that can be done. Uh, and this is um, um, a way of parenting, uh, but there's a much, much better and, of course, uh, a way that we find in scripture, and that is proactive parenting. And the whole idea is not being, not having to chase your child, uh, but rather to be a step ahead of your child and to guide your child, to instruct your child, to, to lead your child by example, um, and to in that way teach them the principles um, in scripture and to create in them a love for the gospel and for God. And uh, I, I, I think this is something that uh, parents uh, can relate to, this idea of sometimes feeling that you have to chase your child. Oh, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And, and kind of that way. Um, and we've had to remind ourselves, Sylvia and I, 
um, often about this principle of proactive parenting, the idea of being a step ahead. Not that the child is going to choose what he's going to do so that you kind of have to go after and see if you want them to do that, but rather introduce to your child what they're going to do that day, what they're going to experience, create atmospheres where they will flourish, uh, you know, uh, um, um, stimulate their, um, their, their, their desires for good things. And we'll, we'll come back to, to, to more practical levels on this, but I want to share a quote with you from a book uh, entitled by Home, uh, the title of the book is Home Built uh, Discipline by Raymond and Dorothy Moore. And on page 32, they write the following. Learn to think beyond punishment and control, beyond contingency systems for behavior, and become more involved in planning constructive and preventive programs that will bring out sound behavior. And uh, again, this idea of punishment and control is really the opposite of proactive parenting because then the child is just doing their thing and, and, and you're like kind of a step behind and you're, and, and, and you, but you have to deal with what is taking place. And so you either resort to punishment or to try to control the situation, but the child is always like that step ahead of you. And then the next thing comes and how are you going to relate to that? And then the next thing comes and how are you going to relate to that? Rather than you actually being ahead of your child and uh, creating atmospheres, environments, situations where the child will, 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 will flourish and grow. It's like taking care of a plant, right? You're giving it the right amount of water, the right amount of sunlight, the right, amount of, the right soil, and then it will flourish. The plant will flourish. So instead of punishment and control being a step behind, we're talking here about being involved in planning constructive and preventive programs that will bring out sound behavior. Create that uh, right environment for your child. Again, we'll come with more um, illustrations of this a little bit further into our, into our program, into our workshop. Um, I want to bring your attention to the book of Proverbs for a moment. Um, I don't know about you. I'm a very uh, linear thinker, and so when I read Scripture... Uh, I have a lot easier time with books that have a clear storyline. Uh, I'm very intrigued by the stories of Scripture. I'm very intrigued by um, the, the story of redemption, the big picture of Scripture, um, prophecies that actually start someplace and lead somewhere. I have personally a little bit harder time with some of the wisdom literature in Scripture, like Proverbs, because my mind is kind of like, okay, that's a good thought, and then the next verse, oh, that's also a good thought, but where do I kind of place it on a, in a, in a linear storyline? I don't know if there's anyone else that, that has that as well. And uh, so for a long time, kind of the book of Proverbs was, okay, kind of like nice, you know, nice, something that you might write, you know, on a tablet or put in your bathroom or hang it up there or in your bedroom or whatever. Nice thought, but I, I find a hard time to really understand this book and how it holds together. Um, until quite recently, actually, because someone shared with me um, the idea of, 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 of how Proverbs is built up. And, and basically what, what Proverbs is, is it's uh, ten speeches from a father to a son, uh, particularly the first seven uh, chapters. After that, you do get these kind of loose uh, Proverbs ideas, these wisdom sayings. But, but the first seven chapters are very interesting. They're actually ten speeches 
from a father to a son. And when, when that kind of clicked for me, I could kind of begin to read it in my kind of linear thinking, in the, in the story picture, and it, and it started to make a lot more sense. Now, there's, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Proverbs. Can I want to share something interesting with you when it comes to here? We're talking here about parenting, uh, bringing up children in the faith. Uh, go to Proverbs chapter 1, and look at what it says in verse 2. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 2, and I'll just begin in verse 1. And verse 1 says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, was Solomon that wrote uh, this book. Remember that he asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, and that's why this word wisdom is a repeating theme throughout the book of Proverbs. And in verse 2, this is how the whole book starts. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And verse 3 says, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. So this word, wisdom, that is mentioned there in verse 2, the first time it appears there in the book of Proverbs, is the Hebrew word kohokma, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, but the meaning of this word is interesting. It means applied knowledge and practical skills. Now think about this. Applied knowledge, so we're not talking about, not talking about theoretical knowledge here only. Like, how many of you have been in through high school? You finished high school. Okay. How many of you have had to <laughs> read things that don't necessarily interest you, but you need to get through it? Okay. So, um, there's, there, there's, there's, a some, some tests you need to pass, some, some knowledge that you need to store in your brain, at least for, to pass the exam. And so, um, you will, you will learn that. You will, you will memorize it perhaps, but then a couple of days after the exam or some weeks later, oh, what, what did you actually learn, <laughs> right? The book of Proverbs talks about a different kind of learning, and it has to do with this word, which is in Hebrew, very interesting, the word wisdom, kokma, which means applied knowledge, practical skills. It's something that you don't just store in your brain. It's something that you actually practice in your experience. And so by practicing it in your everyday life, it is really stored there. It is there where you can then later uh, both remember it and apply it in life. Now, this is also very interesting. Take notice of this. In the same chapter, Proverbs chapter 1, and if you go down to verse 7, this is probably one of the well-known, most well-known verses in the book of Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? The beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So now we have connected to this wisdom, kahokma, applied knowledge, practical skills, we have something else very, very essential. And what is it? The fear of the Lord. And these two ideas of wisdom, understood in a biblical Hebrew, Hebrew way, and fear of the Lord, in the, book of he in the book of Proverbs, these are intertwined, these two ideas, continually. So you read throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom, fear of the Lord, wisdom, fear of the Lord, wisdom, fear of the Lord. And how are they applied? To the bringing up of children. 
to parenting. That these two concepts must come together. You cannot separate the two. So fear of the Lord, we're of course not talking about being afraid of God, but the word fear is rather the meaning of uh, reverence and awe for God. Uh, it really has to do with a moral mindset because God is in the picture. God is the foundation of all knowledge. God is the foundation of all wisdom. God is the one that helps us to apply knowledge. God is the one that helps us in those practical skills of everyday life. And um, this becomes very, very, very interesting when you think about, again, the structure of the book of uh, Proverbs, 10 speeches from a father to a son in the first seven chapters, and it always connects wisdom, applied knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Those two are always connected. You can go back later and, uh, and read it again. It's very interesting. And basically, you get these two lines. You get the wisdom and the fear of the Lord, which leads to virtue and integrity, which leads to success and peace. That's kind of the, the structure of the book of Hebrews. Uh, and then it's contrasted by folly and evil, which would be the opposite of wisdom uh, and the fear of the Lord. And this folly and evil leads to selfishness and pride, and it leads to ruin and shame. And if I ask you the question, for those of you that are already parents, what do you want for your child? Success and peace or ruin and shame? Well, that's not a very difficult question, is it? We all want for our children success and peace. But how do you arrive at success and peace? Well, we must start with the biblical type of wisdom and connected with a fear of the Lord. I know a lot of parents that are very um, engaged with the educational career of their children, and they want to make sure that their children do very well in school in getting good grades and in getting a degree and in making it in that way in life. But what I think is many times lacking is the biblical wisdom that is connected to the fear of the Lord. And this has to start already very early in the experience of children to introduce to them what it means to fear God. I mean, is that a concept that you can actually teach um, a three, four, five-year-old? Or, or should we wait till they're teenagers and then start talking about the fear of the Lord? No, it's something that starts already very, very young, right? To learn what it means for them to acknowledge God in their lives, because that's really the first step, that they acknowledge and are aware that, yes, there is a God, and, and, and there is a, they have a friend, and his name is Jesus, and that Jesus is interested in their lives from a very, very young age. So this is just an idea of the, 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 the outline of Proverbs. And I, I think it will be helpful if you go back and read this again, uh, thinking of this structure of these 10 speeches from a father to a son. There's, there's just incredible good stuff there. And um, that structure kind of helped me to get a, a new interest for the book of Proverbs, whereas before I was just like, oh, these are all these wise sayings, but where, how do I kind of put them together in my, in my brain, in my mind? Also, when you get basically to the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, which is probably a, one of the more known um, chapters in the book of Proverbs, it's actually the words of a mother to a son. So whereas the book of Proverbs starts with those 10 speeches of a father to a son in the first seven chapters, when you get to the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, 31, you have the words of a mother to a son. It's uh, Lemuel who writes a poem about a wise woman 
and this is what the child is to become. And really, the, the whole principle there in the end of the book of Proverbs is this principle of leading by example. And um, we are going to talk t- about that uh, also a little bit later in this workshop. There are actually three areas that we want to cover today. We want to talk about proactive parenting, which we're doing right now. Uh, we want to talk about obedience from the heart. And then we're going we're gonna to finally talk about leading by example. So those are really the three areas that we want to talk about. Um, but proactive parenting has to do with connecting the wisdom, the biblical wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord, with the fear of the Lord, the moral mindset, the awareness that there is a God, uh, and, and to interweave these, this into the upbringing of children. Um, let's go to a quote by Alan White. This is taken from the book Christian Service, page 31. I'm just going to stand over here too because the ASI banner is a little bit in the way here. I hope you can all see it. It says, Let not the youth be ignored. Let them share in the labor and responsibility. Let them feel that they have a part to act in helping and blessing others. Even the children should be taught to do little errands of love and mercy for those less fortunate than themselves. Parents should teach their children the value and right use of time. Teach them that to do something which will honor God and bless humanity is worth striving for. And listen to this last sentence. I love it. Even in their early years, they can be missionaries for God. Um, And I think in the societies that we're living in now, um, a lot of times, the center of attention uh, in a family uh, becomes the child um, in a way that it's like um, entertaining the child, <laughs> making, making sure that the child is always happy and content and, and, and doing that in ways that it's always catering that the child is, is, is receiving the attention. It's the center of attention. You know, whereas it's very interesting when you read a lot about what Alan White has to say about parenting, it's actually not really, um, she, she's actually writing quite differently than uh, the present understanding or the present practice um, often uh, in families, especially in our part of the world where, where very much the child is the center of attention. Actually, it's more this idea that God is the center of attention and, and the, 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 the work of God is, is something that the family is to unite in and the child becomes part of a greater mission. And in that the child is becoming part of a greater mission, they learn how to serve and how that they can reflect the love of God in their lives. And uh, I just love this. And that doesn't mean that we neglect our children. Of course, we, t- we give them lots of attention. But the attention that we give to our child is for them to be able to be little missionaries for God, that they can share uh, God's love with others. Um, and again, this is very much proactive parenting. Because proactive parenting is creating the environment for your child to flourish. What kind of environment do you want to create for your child? An environment of service. An environment of service. An environment where your child can be that little missionary, as she describes here. Um, Actually, this is a picture from last year. Um, And um, with our church in Hunavos, we, uh, we actually started a, since we have a lot of, you know, children in the church. We started a choir with the children, 
And in the end of 2018, we went to different places. Amongst others, we went to a refugee center close to Hunavos. And the children, they were singing and they had prepared gifts for the families that were at this refugee center. And there were a lot of children there as well. And so they prepared lots of gifts for them. It was around the Christmas season. And so we had songs. And then the children were giving gifts to the children in the refugee center. And they loved it. Um, and this was um, one of the activities that we did there. Um, and actually, well, during this ASI is going on, you already heard a little bit yesterday, um, the children have been to another refugee center in the area here. They've been to an old a, a retirement home, I think, yesterday, right? Um, so there, there are activities going on where you can involve the children in, uh, in service. And uh, they love it. Uh, it's very interesting to see the enthusiasm in the children uh, to serve others, to do something for other people. And I think that um, I, I kind of, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home or an Adventist home. Well, my mother became an Adventist when I was 10, and uh, my father never became a Seventh-day Adventist or a Christian. So my mother became an Adventist when she was 10. And in that sense, uh, my teenage years, she was kind of in the beginning of her journey. And so in many ways, I, I wouldn't say that I really grew up in a Christian home. Maybe I could say partly because she became, she did become a Christian. She tried to implement some changes, but by that, by that time, I'm kind of an early teenager and yeah, you know how that goes. Um, <laughs> and so for me, you know, when I consciously decided to follow Christ, it was more at an age of like 16, 17. And then uh, shortly after that, I was baptized and gave my life to the Lord. So, um, uh, and maybe some of you that have come into the church later, um, there's kind of like in the beginning when you have to do outreach, uh, there can be a little bit of this uh, barrier. Uh, and I remember that I had to kind of overcome that because by nature, I was also kind of a shy person, didn't really like to stand in front of people. And so when I went to a mission school and I had to start knocking on doors, oh, it was difficult for me. And so it was something that I had to kind of overcome, that fear. Uh, but then eventually, you know, you do get a joy in that kind of work. And I, and I, and I like, I, I very much like to meet people now. And I very much like to give Bible studies and talk about my faith. But it's interesting. I realize that there are a lot of people um, that struggle with these things. And I think we have a whole generation in our church that um, is struggling with the idea of just sharing their faith. And I believe the reason is because they have not done it at an early age. Um, I have seen examples of, 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 of people, and my wife is uh, one of those examples, actually. Um, she did not have that barrier because um, her parents did take her on, 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 on mission trips and mission experiences early on in life. And I, and I see that, that when that happens, that the fear is not there. Like if, if my five-year-old now can go to a refugee center and go up to another child, give them a gift or sing for them, and there's not that fear, then if you stimulate that, then, then that's going to be there later on as well. You're not going to have that barrier of <sighs> outreach. Oh, no. I think I'll just go to sleep this afternoon, <laughs> you know, uh, or I'll do something else. Like um, some of us are, uh, or there, there's a generation in our church that is struggling with this, and it's hard. It's I know as a pastor and evangelist how hard it is to motivate some people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s to at all share their faith in in the most in the most easy way. It's it's too much for them. Why? Because it was neglected in childhood. 
And so if we're going to see a change in our church, if we're going to see a new spirit of, 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 of sharing our faith, that it's the most natural thing for us, we need to start at a young age with our children and taking them along and, and making it a happy experience, a joyful experience, something that they actually like to do, that they want to be involved in. Now, um, we're gonna, I'm going to share this quote. And then I'm going to give the time to Sylvia as we, as we talk a little bit about some other things as well. But look at what it says here in Child Guidance, page sorry, 189. It says, if we teach our children to be industrious, look at this, half the danger is over. For idleness leads into all manner of temptation to sin. Now, remember, if we are not proactive parents and we just say, okay, um, not sure what's going to happen today. We'll just see what happens. And, and your child has lots of time and you're not a step ahead of them creating an environment. Um, then that idleness, it says is going to lead to an, to all manner of temptation sin. Okay. Naturally, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to tend to things that are not of God. Like, I think of it like this. Um, someone asked, actually asked me at the, uh, breakfast table this morning and I, I gave this illustration. If you have a garden, and you don't tend the garden, no beautiful flowers are going to come up by themselves. <laughs> you know, what is going to come up? Weeds. Like the natural thing that the garden produces, if there's no care given to it, there's no proactive um, involvement in it, it's going to be weeds, right? So you have to proactively create something in that garden. The same is with parenting. If you just, you know, step back, ah, ah it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, that's gonna, that, that, that idleness or that space that you have not cultivated, weeds will come up, right? So proactive parenting is, is cultivating the garden, cultivating, you know, the environment for your child in that way. Um, I hope, I hope that illustration is helpful. Let's talk a little bit about obedience from the heart. So we talked about proactive parenting, and now Sylvia is gonna share with us a little bit about how do we actually create in our children that that desire. Um, and uh, we're going to see our youngest boy is here, and he's very attached to his mommy, so we'll see how this goes. Yes, so I'll present with my little cookie baker. <laughs> They've been baking cookies, but Enoch is very attached to mommy at the moment. So we can present together. That's okay. So, um, the next point that we were going to uh, share with you about is obedience from the heart. And this is something that really uh, I have a passion for. And that is that the children not only do the right thing because they are forced to do the right thing, but because Jesus has entered their heart and the Holy Spirit has done a work of conversion. And I think this starts from a very early age, but I think Oh, sometimes you just feel you need so much wisdom and divine guidance in order for that to happen because it's not something we can produce, but we can stimulate and we can, you know, um, like Daniel said, we can make the environment for that. Um, so the first uh, point that we have here is obedience through fear of punishment or through love and understanding. Sometimes you see children and they grow up and they seem to be very obedient. And then when they come to teenage years or to the age of 18, when they can make their own decision, they just flip out and they are worse than the worldlings, to say it in that way. 
And I think that if a child go grows up just with strict rules, but the love of God is not planted in the heart, this is what will happen. Um, and of course, there is a lot of pull. And, and as parents, we are not really in charge of this either, you know. So I, I'm, um, I'm saying that we are very dependent on God as parents, you know. We need to give them to God. Um, I want to share a quote with you. And this is taken from the same uh, book that Daniel was referring to. Um, I read this book on the plane. We uh, were attending a seminar in Malaysia. Uh, we were doing some lectures there ourselves. But it was another presenter that was presenting on true education, Joshua White. He has a whole ministry connected to true education. It's called a thinking generation. He has a lot of good material. And so this was one of the books that he recommended, and I read it on the way back. And I found a lot of good things there. And I think this explains it well. He says, while they are not necessarily bad, remember that simple punishment and reward tend to stimulate lower levels of moral development. Understanding all and commitment to principle permits students to move to higher levels of morality. And then he goes on to say, wise control is firm, almost rigid in the early years, and gradually lets up as your child becomes more reason-able. And I think this is really what we want for our children. We want them to be able to reason. We want to communicate with, with them. We want to reason with them that they can come to the conclusions themselves. And this can start at quite an early age. Uh, of course, like it says here, um, in the early years, um, it says, you know, that wise control is firm or rigid in the early years. You establish habits. And it's not always that the child understands why he has to do the things you tell them to. Still, at as early as possible age, you start to explain that to them. They need to learn to obey because, you know, um, they understand that you as a loving parent want their best. And that's the same with us too. Sometimes we don't always understand why God says the things he does. And still we need to trust him as a loving father that wants our very best. And still you see in the Bible how God explains. He says, come now and let us reason together. And this is something that is very important and, and precious to me, uh, you know, with my children also. Um, I want to spend as much time as possible to talk things over to, uh, with them, to uh, explain things and to come to conclusions together. Um, not just to, you know, hammer obedience into them, but to explain, to reason, to enter into conclusions together, and then it will stick much more with them. I remember some years back, Daniel and I, we uh, spent some time in India, and we were teaching at a school there. And uh, it was a school for young girls that had not been able to get education. And they were from a lower caste, and so they were used to just obeying what the teacher said. And it was a quite awkward experience, because... Um, we, um, we wanted to enter into a friendship with them, you know, as teachers. We wanted to work in the garden with them. They were so surprised when we sat down, the, out, down in the garden weeding together with them, uh, just joining them in their activities. And it was very uncommon for them to be able to have a communication and to reason with the teachers. So I remember when we gave them some tests after we had had some classes, every question that was, you know, um, 
Bible verse that they should repeat or, you know, a new start concept that they should repeat, that they could just say exactly what you had said as a teacher, that was fine. But if it was any question about using your brain power, using your reasoning ability, it was they were completely unable to do it because they had just been used to growing up with obeying what your parents say, obeying what your teachers say. And that's it. It was no reasoning, no questioning. And it made me think, you know, because when you read in the book Education by Ellen White, she talks about how we should learn to be, um, you know, thinkers and not just reflectors of other men's thoughts. And this starts very early in life. And if the foundation is not laid for this ability to reason, then it's very hard later in life to change that. <coughs> This is a quote from the book Child Guidance, and I can recommend that book. Um, it's by Ellen White. It's actually a compilation, you know, of the things that she has said about um, having children and bringing up children. But it's a lot of good stuff there. I read it uh, at least two, yeah, two, three times. And uh, here she says that children are to be taught that their capabilities were given them for the honor and glory of God. To this end, they must learn the lesson of obedience. By gentle, persistent effort, the habit should be established. Thus, to a great degree, may be, be prevented those later conflicts between will and authority that do so much to arouse in the minds of the youth alienation and bitterness towards parents and teachers and too often resistance of all authority, human and divine. And, um, yeah... Before I go to the next point, maybe I can also share shortly just from a personal experience, you know, with the kids. Now our kids are quite small already, or still quite small. But um, I noticed that, um, I can talk about this, the youngest one. I was not thinking that you would be here, but that's okay. <laughs> he has a very strong will, actually. But he's a very loving um, personality. He has a lot of affection for his mother. And so with uh, this obedience from the heart, it's one thing that I think is very sweet. Because one of the um, greatest punishments for him is if he makes mom unhappy. So he really wants mommy to be happy. He wants to, um, he wants to, you know, to, to please mommy. And I think this is a very nice picture because, you know, if, if God's love is planted in our hearts, our greatest Motivation for doing right should actually be the love of God. It should not be the fear of punishment. So if I will say to him, for example, if you do that, you'll be disobedient, and then mommy will be sad. And then he gives me a hug because he doesn't want me to be sad, you know. It's like, it's like the love relationship. I like that very much. And sometimes they're stubborn, and um, it's very different personalities. This one has a very strong will. <laughs> but and sometimes we need to to count, you know, just to to cool down and to give it some time. And then usually after prayer, he will give a big hug and say, I'm sorry. So uh sometimes it's also good to give, you know, to give the time to the children. Talk it and then after you have given them some time, then you talk it over again, you explain it thoroughly, that they understand it with their minds on their level very simply, and then you ask them again, 
you know, to if they want to <laughs> confess, for example, if it's talking about obedience and disobedience. So, um, yeah, I think maybe we'll go to the next point. Um, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. The next one is share and reason with your child on spiritual themes from an early age. This relates to what we've been talking about already. Um, but it's like Daniel says, sometimes we think that when they are young, they maybe don't comprehend so many of these things. But it starts very, very early. And I have to say that I remember even from Elias, the oldest one, was just months old. And he would wake up early in the morning and he would sit in his uh, his chair and I would just explain to him the plan of salvation and pray with him and sing to him. And it looked like he was absorbing everything. Of course, he didn't understand everything. But still, I think it's important that we just share with our children passionately about the gospel and about the content of God's love uh, from a very early age. Just, you know, as they are weeks old, just, just start with the songs and, and just explain like they would understand everything you say. Um, yeah, I'll share two quotes with you that I really like on this. Um, this is also from the book Child Guidance. God wants every child of tender age to be his child, to be adopted into his family. Young though they may be, the youth may be members of the household of faith and have a most precious experience. They may have hearts that are tender and ready to receive impressions that will be lasting. They may have their hearts drawn out in confidence and love for Jesus and live for the Savior. Christ will make them little missionaries. The whole current of their thought may be changed so that sin will not appear a thing to be enjoyed, but to be shunned and hated. And I think also this topic of the great controversy, you know, the battle between good and evil, explaining that just in simple terms to the children and explaining that they have a choice to make, which side they want to be on, spending much time on dwelling upon the love of Jesus and what he did for us, um, and, um, and less time actually on, on the do's and the don'ts, but just creating them a love for Jesus, love for Jesus, lift up Jesus, what he has done for them. Um, this is also a very nice quote. Fathers and mothers should teach the infant, the child, and the youth the love of Jesus. Let the first baby lispings be of Christ. That should be the most precious word to be mentioned. Jesus, you know, in song, in conversation. That should always be connected with something pleasant, something that they desire. And this also brings us into the third point that I made on this obedience from the heart, which is bring God and spiritual things into positive settings. Sometimes we have a tendency to use Jesus in a very, you know, do this thing, you know, uh, please tidy up your room because Jesus wants you to tidy your room. And then sometimes the name of Jesus is connecting to everything that is negative in the child's mind, you know, in the child's minds, if they have a resistance against, for example, tidying the room or, you know, some things that they are that they feel it hard to do. And then if you connect Jesus to all those hard things that they actually are supposed to do, then 
easily it can be created a negative picture of God and Jesus in their minds. There was actually a mother, a very uh, godly mother, and she said to me, when you become mother, she said, just watch this because I did this to my children. I said, do this because Jesus wants it. Do this. And, and many of the, so to say, neg- negative things in the minds of the child. And she said, I regretted that so much after because they, they started to get this negative picture about Jesus wants me to do all the boring things. And so it's just something to be aware of, you know, that when you mention the name of Jesus, positive things are connected with the name of Jesus. So, and, and with Sabbath and with worship and with, you know, mission, this is like the, wow, we're going to do mission work. And they're so happy, you know, and now we're going to worship. Oh, can I have one more worship, please? You know, and when is the Sabbath starting? Oh, it's one day more. Okay. Counting the days till Sabbath. Oh, eventually Sabbath. I'm so happy. You want the children to enjoy and to have something positive connected with all the spiritual things. Don't make it the no-nos. Make it the happy times. Um, and if you need to do no-nos or, you know, clean your thing, I mean, that's a normal thing to do for everyone. You know, it's not, you don't need to connect it to Jesus wants you to do it, you know. Um, but uh, connect Jesus to all the positive and happy uh, experiences of life. Um I see this uh, in the church now, like Daniel mentioned, we have a lot of kids actually, and uh, we really try to put effort into making the Sabbath school very interesting. And almost all the kids, when we uh, meet, you know, and we say today's the Sabbath, they yay, it's the Sabbath, they are all so happy, you know, to, uh, to go to children's Sabbath school and to participate in the activities. Um, it's something that they look forward to. It's a high point of the week, and I think this is very important. Um, and also, um, this corresponds with what Ellen White is saying here in Child Guidance. She says, the Sabbath, oh, make it as sweet as the most blessed day of the week. And she goes on to say, religious instruction should be given to children from their earliest years. It should be given not in a condemnatory spirit, but in a cheerful, happy spirit. Parents, watch, watch, watch and pray and make your children your companions. Make friends with the children. Do fun things with them, you know, things that are upbuilding. And uh, for me, I have a very strong passion for this, to make the children feel that they are useful and that they um, can be a blessing from others from a very early age, like mission work, you know, on their level. And that's why in our church we've been doing, you know, a lot of activities with the kids, reaching out to the unfortunate, uh, the blind people, the... Uh, the um, um, how do you call it, the handicapped people, the refugees. We're trying to search out those classes of people that need a special encouragement. And there the kids can really make an impact because they don't get so many of those encouragements. And the kids, they, they get such a joy when they've been to some of those events. They are so happy that they were able to share and they see the joy on the faces of the people that they've been able to minister to. And they are able to minister because they bring their small gifts and they sing about Jesus with their happy faces and they see the feedback in the congregation. I think Esther was telling, yesterday we went to the old people's home and um, and some of the old people had tears in their eyes when they saw, you know, the children standing there and just, you know, praising Jesus, you know. It brought back memories to their minds, see? 
And then it was even a little baby, just a few months old. And the baby was passed on from one old person to another old person. And you just saw them beaming by having a little baby in their arms. Even from babyhood, the children can be brought for outreach. And they can be missionaries. They can do their part. And um, I think this is a very valuable uh, thing for our children. Um, like Daniel said, many times we think that we should entertain the children. And I think in church work also we think we should entertain them. We should make it so fun. And we should make... Um, you know, clowns and music that are engaging and things that can make them laugh. But personally, I think there is an even better way, and that is to involve them in ministry, to make them feel that they are needed, that they are dependent upon to uh, be a blessing for other people, that they feel a responsibility, and that will make them grow, that will want to make them reach higher. Then we come to uh, the third um, kind of, you know, the the third point that we're going to deal with, and that is leading by example. And um, I think this is quite generally accepted that there are three main, very important elements in good parenting. Love, firmness and consistency, and example. And um, with the love thing, I think that you almost can't give your child too, too much love or how to say it, you know. Spend a lot of time with the, with the child. Um, care, closeness. Um, I think that's a very important part because that binds the child uh, to you as a parent and that gives you also more authority on the child because they love you, they want to please you, um, you're their best friend and then you have much more you know, influence in their life. So... I think it's very important with the love aspect. But just as important also with the firmness and consistency but that, because that creates um, security in the child when they know that there are borders, when they know that there are limits. That's, um, of course, it can be done in a wrong way if there is it's a lot of rules and it's just a no-nos and running after. But uh, to have borders in your life and that that is carried through it's very important for a child. In the long run, that's creating secure children. And then we come to what is maybe the scary part, and that is example. Because what you do has more to say than what to, or what you do has a greater impact than what you say. And so um, the child will look at the things you're doing, and if they see inconsistencies, this can actually turn the table for them as to, you know, if they want to follow or not. But um, at the same time, it's a very, I mean, it's a very strong privilege also that we can, uh, that God has given us as parents to, to be um, able to go before our children and to lead them in the right paths. <laughs> I have a funny experience um, that um, I can tell you with example. Sometimes, like I say, you you know you can you can be a little bit scared of that part because you don't always feel that you are perfect as a parent, and you're like, oh man, you know. And sometimes, sometimes you just look yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh. Um, I remember this summer we had the Living Waters summer camp, and I'm kind of the main responsible. And this year we had 500 people, so it was a very busy time. And um, and then when <laughs> I was coming out with Elias from our uh, where we were staying, and then Joachim Jutland, some of you know him, he was coming, 
And he, we, he has actually been living with us for two years, so he's like a big brother to Elias. And then Elias comes out, and Joachim, he wants to talk to him, and he says, I don't have time. <laughs> and he just moves on. And I thought to myself, oh, is this me, you know? Because I was so busy at the conference, and then sometimes you don't have the time for those personal conversations, you know what I mean? So sometimes you see yourself in the mirror and you're scared, you know, when your children pick up these things from you. <laughs> but um, there are good things too. He, uh, if we look at the big picture, he really wants to be an evangelist. That is, that's his great passion. He wants to be like his father. He wants to be a preacher. And that he has held on to for years since he was not a, almost able to talk. He even has a plan for his little brother. He's going to be the driver and the technician. So they're going to be a future team. Because <laughs> he's a little bit more technical. <laughs> and Elias is the thinker. He's a very spiritual guy, you know, that has all the deep thoughts in his mind. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to see also, you know, when they kind of catch on to the example and they want to reach, you know, to to also be uh, involved in, in spiritual things. <clears throat> this is from the same book, Home Built Discipline, page 204. It says, Discipline, we believe, is a fine art or discipleship. And I think that's a very profound quote that... More than anything else, discipline is not just, you know, punishing or just saying no to the things that they shouldn't do. It is go going before and giving an example and saying, follow me, uh, like Jesus said. And again, I say, I mean, this is a challenging thing because you never feel actually that you have reached. But still, you do your best to exemplify and to disciple Christ and then to ask your kids to, to follow that. This is from Child Guidance, page 271. Consistency and affection are to be enforced by a lovely and consistent example. And again, she brings out these three points that I mentioned that is generally um, acknowledged as very valuable in parenting. And that is uh, consistency, affection, and example. So to, to have the love aspect and then also to be consistent in carrying through also to make borders and to make limits um, or to, to, to create the right frame for the child and then to, to show that by example. Then uh, the, uh, another underpoint here is be vulnerable, humble yourself and confess with, when needed. I think this is also very important in parenting. Sometimes we want to be the superheroes and we, we want, uh, in a sense, to make it look like we're never doing anything wrong and it's just our children that need to behave. Um, but I think it's important for our children to see that we can also, you know, sometimes we stumble and fall and that we can um, tell them, uh, you know, get it. And Ellen White writes it. Uh, I'll share with you a quote here also from Child Guidance, page 557. And she says that if you have failed in your duty to your families, confess your sins before God, gather your children about you, and acknowledge your neglect. It's not something that is belittling to your authority to confess and to say, you know, in this I did wrong. 
please forgive me, you know. I can also do wrong. I'm not, only God is perfect, you know. And I can also do wrong things. And um, I think this is important for the children to, to also see that uh, humility or how to say it, um, you know, as, as parents that, that we can admit and acknowledge when we've been wrong. Uh, I had a quite sweet story about that. Elias is our oldest one. He was just two years at that time. And we had just moved from Bergen to uh, the east part of Norway. Uh, so it was a quite busy time, you know, with moving all stuff. And, and Enoch was a baby. And um, and we were, you know, repacking and reorganizing everything. And I had my, I'm actually quite, a, I like to get things done during the day. I'm quite duty driven in a sense. And this can be challenging when you have small children because they need your time. I mean, a small children really needs a lot of time with parents. And so I had my list of things I wanted to get done that day. And um, uh, and I noticed that both the kids were getting impatient and it was, oh, you know, whining. And, and then I thought, no, I'm not doing right. I should just leave this thing and now I should just, you know, take some time with the kids. And so uh, I said, let's go to the beach. And we have the beach just below our house. And on the way, I, I told Elias, you know, I, I felt I was a little bit impatient today. I was a little bit stressed today. Um, did you feel that? I said to him, yeah, I think you were a little impatient, he said. <laughs> I was like, thanks, yeah. And, <laughs> and then I said, um, and then I said to him, you know, mom, mom is really sorry. I'm sorry about that. And then he was just wrapping his arms around me and he said, you know, uh, I forgive you, I forgive you. Kids are so, you know, they are so willing to forgive, actually. And then he said, we can pray, we can pray. <laughs> it was just two years old, you know, so just, you know, starting to talk in sentences kind of thing. And then I said, okay, you pray, I said to him. And then he was just like, dear Jesus, thank you for mama, amen. And then he looked up and he said, are you happy now? <laughs> So <clears throat> children are usually very, you know, willing to forgive if there are things. And, and I must say they are very gracious too because there's been times now I've said, you know, now, now I felt I was short or now I felt I was impatient. And then they said, no, we didn't notice that. You're fine. <laughs> so they are also very understanding. Um, yeah, this is the last point, And that is um, to pass on faith and values. And uh, to leave the conviction with the Holy Spirit. And um, actually, I think, Daniel, did you want to speak a little bit on that? or Yeah. Um, you know, we do feel, um, I think as Christian parents, we feel the responsibility very strong when we get children. Or um, like for us, we waited 10 years having children, and I think both of us felt a very strong responsibility feeling. And I think this is stronger for Christian parents than for, you know, parents in the world, in a sense, because uh, as Christians, we realize that the, the kids are actually a gift from God, and that they are not just for this life, but they are for eternity, you know. So this is actually a eternity job, you know, to, to make them ready for eternity, which is a much broader scope. And also, you, I mean, in the world today, if you just let them bump through the system from their one year old, they get into kindergarten and then, you know, they go all, just all the steps into school and everything is prepared for them. So you just produce them and, you know, you can continue your career and you can continue your life in a sense. And you just, 
get them bumped along. But as Christians, Christian parents, that is different because you feel in a much larger, larger extent this responsibility, you know, uh, that these are, you know, precious. These are going to be, uh, you know, ready for heaven. But I just want to say we should feel that responsibility. And, um, but at the same time, it is important to understand what is our task and what is the task of the Holy Spirit. Because for us, we are to pass on our values, you know, the values that God has given us in his word. We're to pass on love. We're to pass on our faith. And we are to do all we can to surround them by this. But we can't bring conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we want to force conviction, but we have to also leave that into the hands of God. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, I think it's important to, to also uh, remember what is my role and what is God's role in this. Yes, thank you, Sylvia. So um, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, I think it's uh, really these principles are both rooted and grounded in Scripture, uh, but they also really come alive when you when you go through life with children. I mean, it's it's one of the most fascinating journeys, actually, to be a parent. Uh, it's it's both. Uh, um, I mean, it's a daunting task. Uh, you get the sense of responsibility more than ever. I don't think any, any other time in my life have I felt that much of kind of responsibility for something than, than becoming, you know, a, a parent. Uh, at the same time, it's, um, it's very fun. It's, uh, it's very, I mean, the experiences that you get with, with, with these little creatures, <laughs> it's, uh, it's worth everything. Um, and it makes you strong. Look, she's, she's carrying this three-year-old for 50 minutes. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, what I want to kind of close off with, or we're gonna, I'm going to kind of wrap up some thoughts and then we'll do question time because we have uh, about 20 minutes left. So, but I want to close off with this uh, quote and then share a few more thoughts here before we go over to some question time. Um, this is also taken from, um, this is actually taken from Testimonies, uh, 6, page 105. And it says, in our work for the children, the object should be not merely to educate and entertain them, and we talked about that already, but to work for their conversion. That's actually the greatest task you, has, uh, you have as a parent, uh, to bring about, you know, to, to, to uh, lead your child to, to a conversion. We should ask the blessing of God on the seed sown and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Let's listen to this, will take hold of even the little ones. And I like this, this latter part because it, sh it says we should work for their conversion, okay? So you work for their conversion, but, but how does that practically happen? And then she says, we should ask the blessing of God on the seed sown. So, so what, is, what is our part? It's like when, if, I'm going to, um, uh, if I'm going to have a garden, right? If I have a garden, then I cultivate the soil. We talked about that, proactive parenting. Uh, then I put the seed in the ground, I cover up the seed, but there are certain things that I can't do. Right? I, ca I, can't, I can't produce actually life in that seed. So, so God has to take over here, right? And she says here, we should ask the blessing of God on the seed sown. So when Sylvia talks about obedience from the heart and, and this kind of principles of parenting, and we're talking about proactive parenting, we're actually talking about the, the sowing of the seed. Uh, but then comes the, 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 that prayer uh, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will take hold of even these little ones. You know, I don't think ever in my life I felt more dependent 
on God than, than, than being a parent because you kind of feel like this is completely out of my control. Well, to, to some degree, it's in my control because, of course, you can create an atmosphere, you can be proactive in parenting and all of these things. But on the other hand, it's so out of your control. Um, and, and, and every parent here will, will know exactly what I'm talking about because uh, before you have children, um, sometimes you can also be a little bit critical of other parents, like they don't really seem to manage their child very well. And then you get one of these creatures yourself. Right? <laughs> I see all the parents smiling. <laughs> and you're like, um, and there's not just like the ingredients, like, you know, if you're gonna bake some bread, you put in the flour, you put it, you put in all the ingredients and you put it in the oven and out comes the bread. Well, it doesn't work like that with children. It's not like, oh, where's the button? I haven't found the button on this one yet. Like, where's the button that I can press to, to just get him to do what I want him to do? The button is not there. It doesn't exist. And so it's completely out of your control. And I believe it's totally character development to, to be a parent. Absolutely. And actually, if your, if your child is not the easiest child, then praise God, more character development. You know, um, you know I, I love my two, two boys, but they're very different. And I remember once when we were still pastoring in Bergen, and I had Elias, and we went to this concert that they had actually in the church, and uh, Elias likes music, and he was sitting on my lap, and he was probably two at that time, through the whole concert, just enjoying the music. And some of the parents were like, how do you do that? And, uh, well, this, this is just how he, how he is, you know? Um, I could totally not do that with my second child. <laughs> and, uh, and so they probably thought like, oh, you don't really know what parenting is like. This one's too easy, you know? And, uh, but children are very different. And, um, actually when you have an active child, there are, there's potential in that child, um, that can be released for the work of God. Right. Praise God for if you see like a child that is very active and, and, and that is always like looking for the next thing to do, those are great qualities can, that can be developed into something very precious in the work of God, right? Uh, just like someone that is more contemplative or more uh, occupied with different things. These are, these are character traits that can be cultivated and developed um, into something beautiful for God. Uh, but this idea of, of, of dependence comes through so strongly uh, that we must rely upon God. This, this feeling of, of needing to pray because, yeah, there's certain things I can do and, there's, and, 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 and we do the best and, and then we fail many times and we, and we are so aware of our own failure because when you see yourself in your child, it's just a reminder of your frailty and your, 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 your brokenness. And then it's just, again, going to God in prayer, going to God in prayer, and depending on him and saying, God, you have to do what I cannot do. So it's character development, and it's a dependence on God, coming back to God again and again, because we can sow the seed, but the Holy Spirit has to do something that we cannot do. And we have to rely upon his power to do what we cannot do. And then to actually see the, the child grow up and, 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 and uh, have a love for God and have a love for service, really, I, 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 I just see again and again that it, when that happens, where does all the praise go? To God. It's God that did that. Because I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't develop. Yes, I can sow a seed, 
Yes, I can do my best to be a proactive parent and to cultivate obedience in my child from the heart, and I can do my very best to lead by example, but, but I will stumble and fail. So if in the end they do come to a point where they love Jesus and they love the gospel and they love to serve, then I know where the credit goes. The credit goes to God, amen, and God alone. So I think this was pretty much the last slide that we had. So um, let's, let me close with a word of prayer, and then we will have question time because we do still have, we'll have another 10 minutes for that. So, but I just want to pray this um, as we close this part, and then uh, we'll move to some questions. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your love, for your patience with us as we are your children. And Lord, you are seeking to develop in us a Christ-like spirit and a burden for service and a love for humanity. Lord, as you seek to develop this in us, we in turn seek to develop this in the children that you have entrusted into our care. Lord, I want to thank you for the biblical principles that you have given us in your word and for the rich, rich treasures in the spirit of prophecy. Help us, Lord, to really treasure these, these things. And I pray that you'll help us to apply this wisdom connected with the fear of the Lord so that we can see our children develop into your likeness, that they may become your disciples. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So time for some questions. Some minutes left. Yes. Uh, That's an excellent question. So I'll just repeat it so everyone hears it. Um, Do you have any tips or thoughts when it comes to your your devotional? And I think, are you thinking more of devotional life with the children or for the parents when they're, for the with the children, okay. And maybe I can address both because I think both is kind of an interesting thing. But I'll start with uh, with the children. Um, I, I mean, it's it's a must. Uh, I think from the very youngest age, uh, having devotions with them in the morning and evening, um, this is something again that cultivates their their love for Scripture, cultivates their their their, their love to speak with God from the youngest age. Um, try to inspire, inspire them, motivate them to pray, uh, even if it's just a two-word prayer, thank you, Jesus, or yeah, be with us today, or something. If that child can utter those words themselves in prayer, I think it's something beautiful. That's one of the most beautiful things, to listen to the prayers of my children. Um, so to encourage that is extremely important. Uh, and then, you know, try to find good material, um, and maybe if some of you want to come to us afterwards, we can also share with you some of the some of the material we're using. Uh, when it comes to like uh, children Bibles, uh, we're a little bit picky actually because some children Bibles I find the pictures a little bit more comic, you know, comical. And I, I try to find something a little bit more real. Uh, we found actually a very nice uh, illustrated Bible for children uh, when I was in the States last September, and um, uh, it's uh, it's quite a quite a yeah, 600 pages. It's a very extensive one. Uh, and it's interesting because um, it's produced by Adventists. Uh, and um, so it even covers like prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and, and Proverbs. You think, I've never seen in a children's Bible the book of Proverbs, but it's in there. And so I started reading it with Elias. And uh, when we came back, so last October, so we did it like every every day. And we finished it. 
and now he's reading it actually with Sylvia the second time because he loves it. <laughs> he loves the stories. And, um, and, and so, so there's some good material out there. Um, another very good, okay, let me, let me mention this one. Ladder of Life. You can write it down if you want. Ladder of Life. This is like material that goes back to what? Do you think it's produced in the 60s or something? 60s, 70s? But it's a great set of books that goes through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Peter's Ladder. Yeah, Peter's Ladder of um, knowledge, temperance, virtue, love, these things. And, uh, and the stories are just great. There's stories about serving. There's stories about patience. There's stories about these kind of things. And you know what happens? We read these stories again and again and again because children don't mind hearing the same things again and again, especially at a certain age, you know, when they're below six, seven. It doesn't matter. They want their stories again. You know, our kids can basically <laughs> dream these stories now. And when you come into real-life situations where you're like... Um, um, I remember this, this one story in one of these books. I don't remember which book it was, but it's about contentment. And it's about this little girl and she's looking into the window shop and she sees all these beautiful dresses and, and, but then she says, but I'm okay with the one that I'm wearing. And then she goes and she sees all this, uh, all this, um, uh, yeah, cookies and candy. And she says, but I'm, but I'm happy with my apple. And, and it goes through this like contentment. And, uh, so we were reading this story and the same evening, it came into a situation where, uh, we were about to, uh, put Elias to bed and, uh, he wanted something. And we thought, yeah, but, you know, this is not the time for that. So we explained it to him. And first he was a little bit like, yeah, but I really want it. And then the next moment I see him think and then he says, but I'm okay with this. <laughs> and he referred to the story in the ladder of life. I thought, yes. <laughs> so these kind of devotional life, you know, you're planting the seeds, and these thoughts they will they they will come out. So um, so yes, I encourage that. I will also just say something about devotional life for parents, uh, because this can be very very challenging. Uh, and I think that it's important for cha- for parents. Uh, not to go around with, with, with continual guilt about um, not having maybe the devotional life that they had before. Uh, because it's going, especially in the early years, it's going to be very difficult. You're going to get disturbed continually. Wh- whenever you can get in a Bible verse or get in some moment with God in prayer, even if it's between other things you're doing, don't go around in the day and, and, and feel guilty because it wasn't that amount of time that you had before. You, you had a child. I think it's very important because it will change. And, and for those of you that are still single, enjoy your devotional time without any, you know, disturbances. And you know, um, because you, it's that's gonna that's gonna change. You know it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Other questions. Okay. So, what do we practically do on Sabbath to make it a special day? Very good question. Um, there are different things you can do. Um, one of the things is we put a lot of focus on the program in church. So uh, the Sabbath school, as Sylvia mentioned, is a time that they really look forward to. Uh, they can't wait for Sabbath school. So if he knows the, he knows the day, Elias knows the days of the week now. And sometimes he'll ask, like, how many days before Sabbath? Because he's looking forward to that Sabbath school moment. So putting a lot of quality time into preparing a very good Sabbath school for the kids. Something special there. There's some, um, um, we're, we're, we're quite careful with screen time with our kids. It's not that they're never allowed to watch things. They do watch things, but we, 
we choose what they're watching. We don't let them just roam around, of course. Uh, one of the things that is kind of special on Friday evenings, there are these, um, uh, there are these little programs that they've made by Adventist World Radio. I don't know if you've heard about it. Adventist World Radio has made these. They have it on YouTube. And they are incredibly inspiring missionary stories. Uh, that's kind of a Friday evening moment for us as a family. We watch those, and Elias loves them, and, and Enoch, Enoch also likes to watch, like, and we explain the story, because some of them might maybe be a little bit hard for them to understand, but we explain the story of con- lives that are being converted and mission that is happening in other countries. So Adventist World Radio. Um, but that's like, like, yeah, making it a special moment, special food, you know, uh, on Sabbath, uh, quality time with them, uh, time in nature. Yeah, these are all things that you can really make it a, a time that they'll look forward to. Other questions? Yes. Yeah, yeah. How can you make it still special when you're just few children? Um, yeah, that, 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 that can be more challenging, but, but there are definitely, um, I mean, when you think about it throughout the week, you're also probably with, you know, the number of children you, you have, you're dealing also with the, the smaller number. Um, I don't know if you want to answer this, Sylvia, if you have some more thoughts on that, but, but my initial thoughts would be actually in similar ways you can make it a very interesting moment. I think what is important if you have Sabbath at home is, um, or, or, or some other place where there's very few, to still have it in, a, in maybe a different place, uh, even in the home, maybe, because if they just connect it with what has gone on the whole week, it's hard for that little brain to, to kind of see, oh, this is something different and special. Uh, if we've had you know, a worship each morning on the couch, and then on Sabbath morning we have it on the couch again. I really, I, I really um, actually encourage, um, especially with young children, the consistency of going also to one church. Now, now I'm saying this with the challenge that I'm speaking all over the place, uh, but I, less now. Uh, before I was speaking a lot all over the place. Now I'm actually committing myself more to one church where I pastor, even though I do sometimes have to go to other churches. But actually the consistency of going to one place that they can connect with is actually very important in the early years, I believe. Yeah, and even if you have to do it in the home, maybe choose a room or a place where where it's something different, you know? Yeah. Did you want to say something more about that? Maybe, I don't know uh, if there is anyone else in your church that has a passion for children there. Because just to have another person also to involve uh, himself or herself would be very helpful. Because when you're with the child all the time, you know, it's, I don't say it's a must, but it is helpful that they have another input, you know? But that must be a person that has a passion for children's work and can make it engaging. And otherwise, uh, I see the challenge because for sure it is more exciting to look forward to when they meet with other children. And it's, it's more an atmosphere and, you know. Um, but still, I think it's possible also to think about special activities that you don't do throughout the week. Um, yeah. For example, if you have a filled set, you know. And they are not allowed to just use that freely throughout the week, but just for Sabbath. And that's something they look forward to because they'd like to play with that, for example. You know, things like that. Yeah, and you can even like, you know, if there's something like that, like just keep that for that one day, you know, so it is a marked moment. I think that's, that's the, really the principle, make it a marked difference. difference. Yes. Sorry, once more. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when, when toddlers, they have this, this, this age, or toddlers is basically, what, what, are, what is the official toddler age? Is it, 
<laughs> Some are grown-up toddlers, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The terrible, the terrible twos. Have you heard about that? They say that in English. They call it the terrible twos. Uh, because that's often the age, two, three, um, uh, where, 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 where they can very much, um, have their own will. And actually, Ellen White talks about the importance of, she puts two markers. She says the first three years. And in other places, she talks about the seven years, the first seven. So she often talks about the first three and the first seven. And, uh, when you talk about toddler, you would, you'd be in that first, in, the, in that first three. Um, I think it really comes back to kind of some of the things that we've been sharing. Consistency. Consistency in um, um, speaking it through with them. Uh, from personal experience, from what, 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 when, when ours have had those moments, sometimes it's best not to kind of drill it in them at that moment, but rather like let them kind of cool off and then rather talk with them afterwards and talk it through afterwards when they're kind of in their right mind. <laughs> because if you try to do something right there and then and in the moment... Um, it usually doesn't really help that much. So, so waiting till they cool off and then talking it through and then, but not letting it go because they will have to come to the point where they, yeah, I shouldn't have behaved like that. And the acknowledgement of that, right? The acknowledgement of, of, uh, of what just happened, but, but talking it through, um, uh, but waiting till, till it cools off. Uh, and also this, this I think also has to do very much with taking into consideration Sometimes what causes this because, um, you actually, you, the times that that happens most is when the child is tired, um, or when they're in settings that they're not used to. So if they're in a setting that is not like, um, the environment that they're used to from day to day, and on top of that, their, their rhythms are maybe not, you know, uh, as, as they should be with sleeping, then that's, that's a recipe. <laughs> And, uh, and so taking consideration what, what caused it and then, um, uh, dealing with it, um, after they've cooled down, after they're, you can really talk to them. Yeah. And that's, that's also why it's called the, the, the tantrums in that, in that particular age of toddler, because the more they can communicate, the easier it becomes. And when you really can communicate with a child, and, and that's also really something that is, very interesting to learn how to communicate with your child that they can actually explain like this is what I feel and sometimes children are not able or many times um, logically they're not able to actually put uh, descriptions on their feelings and so you have to help them in that process so they might not know if it's uh, what, what they're feeling whether it's uh, anger or sorrow and sometimes you even have to kind of ask their questions to kind of draw out of them so that they can kind of define for themselves or define for you what they're feeling. And, and when you know, and, and when you understand that, you can again relate to that. So I think this, this, uh, I'm not an expert on toddler tantrums, but I think that's, that has something a little bit to do with not being able to express themselves fully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You mean like just in general, motivating activity? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you mentioned that now, or I know you've mentioned that other times, Sylvia, um, about this with children are, at least this is our experience, they're best behaved when you can actually take them outside. Uh, it is much easier as a parent uh, when, when they are, can be active and they can use their energy. Some of the mo- more difficult times is when they have to sit still and, or, you know, but so, so at a young age, especially, you know, the, the outdoors should be a lot of their, Playground. I mean, of course, their playground and their 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 place of development. Because uh, I think the more active they can be, the less the less you run into these these problems.
I think, I think we're living in a time now that parenting is probably more difficult than it's ever been, uh, especially when you think about screens. It's interesting because um, for those of you that are born in, born in the 80s, I was born in 1980, so um, I'm 39 now, and uh, I grew up without screens, of course, in the 80s. We didn't have that in the 90s. I remember very well when the first computer came into the home, and we had to, uh, I have four siblings, and so we were kind of like lined up, and we could have our, you know, little... 15 minute per day <laughs> moment, uh, and uh, but but you know you didn't have there was it was just a very different world. Uh, of course, now this is basically the first generation that is now um, growing up not knowing anything else but screens and internet. I mean, not even having any anchor point of how things were before that, uh, which is which is quite scary. And it's, it, it's incredible also how fast they learn these things. You know, they find like. <laughs> Elias, again, we try to limit the screen time, but, but sometimes he's allowed to look at some pictures. And I mean, he creates his own little movies on there and, and he twists the pictures. And I'm like, how did you even do that? Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, I can do that with my phone. <laughs> you know, he, he's, they're just so quick in finding out when it comes to these kind of things. Um, and, uh, and I think it's very important to put limits as parents, very important. Uh, and uh, screens shouldn't really be part of the child's life basically in the first years at all. Um, and I think it's, um, um, and as they get older, it's kind of like when you think about the two ways of parenting, you have the, this is of course a little overgeneralization, but, but you see oftentimes either it's very open in the beginning and then it goes like this and you try to tighten up when they get to the teenage years. Or you have kind of this way of parenting, right? You start with, with very much involvement, very much constrict, um, um, holding back and putting limits and barriers. And then as they get older, you release them, you know, so that actually when they get to the teenagers, and I'm, of course, no expert on this because I don't have teenagers, but hopefully by that time, you've created an atmosphere where they will not decide for those things because of the influence of the early years. But it is a challenge. It is a huge challenge in the world we live in. There are things called films, and, you know, we've told them about the problems that are out there also with addiction to screen and everything, you know? Because I think if you totally protect them and they don't know what is out there and then they face it, they are so, they are so glued to it because they're not used to it at all. So, um, for example, with the oldest one, I work, we have worked quite a lot on um, the ability to look shortly at something and then give it back without any, you know, I want to do it more. And that's really hard in the beginning. It's so hard because, especially when they're not used to it, they are like glued to it. And uh, so we talked to him, uh, and we have said, you know, um, if you're able now to look at this, for example, school prog program about something educational, five minutes or ten minutes, and give it back, then we can do it another time again. And Maybe actually, if, they, if they're not able to, we've had those moments where you get that tantrum because they don't want to give it back, then it's like, okay, this is an addiction for you, so let's just cut it out for a while. Because, but if they can deal with it, if they can watch it something and then give it back, then, then that's what you kind of want to teach. That that uh, that flow of being able to deal with it in a good way. So, well, I see our time is running up, run up, run out. But uh, please come to us if you have more things you would like to talk about. We're here the rest of this year. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.